Well, do you remember the first time that you were impacted by an incredible fiction story? Could have been a comic book, a, a book, a novel series, a movie. You know, or maybe, again, like a movie or even a TV series that really captured your attention. There are so many beloved stories out there that through our childhood and adulthood we have enjoyed. Just to name a few. Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, The Chronicles of Narnia, Hunger Games, Divergent, Twilight, Percy Jackson, Captain Underpants, and Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I knew, I knew we'd get someone there. You think of things like Star Wars, Marvel, Disney, Pixar, stories about aliens, zombies, pirates, vampires, disaster movies featuring The Rock, one of Allison and I's personal favorites. They're always awesome. Now, there, there are all kinds of popular examples of storytelling that we all resonate with. And they all have elements of fantasy, some more than others. But why do we love them? Why do people love these? Well, these fantastical books and movies I mentioned, they have more than just great entertainment value because humans are fascinated by the what if. We love to imagine incredible worlds and we love to ask the question of what if and see what it's like when the impossible becomes possible. We want there to be more than what we can see and touch and experience. So don't believe the oversimplification that many will say today that modern society is aggressively only intellectual and rational. Human beings love stories and they love telling stories because we all long for something bigger, something grander, and something greater than the broken world that we see and we experience on a daily basis. And in particular, we all love stories about good and evil because there's so much brokenness in our world that they become a little bit of a respite, a little bit of a a rescue where we get to see evil actually conquered. We get to see justice actually happen when we often don't in our real world. You know, in a passage this morning, we're going to see a story of good and evil. But this one, it's not fiction. It's real. And we're going to see how good triumphs over evil in a spectacular fashion. Jesus is going to face off with quite literally a legion of demons. And in Mark 5, we're going to see that humans are powerless against evil. But God's power is ultimate. And Jesus is our only hope. Well, before we jump into the text in Mark 5... Let's remember the context of where we are in the story so far. So Jesus had just led his disciples across the sea. And if you remember, they were terrified at the wind and the waves, and they feared for their lives while Jesus was literally asleep in the boat. Quite a mix of emotions that they must have felt going through this. But then Jesus, he wakes up and he demonstrates his power over creation, using only his voice to command the wind and the waves to stop and to be at peace. See, the disciples were originally fearful of these wind and waves. They were, they were fearful for their lives, but then their fear shifted, and it says that they were afraid of Jesus now instead. Their fear of the world turned into a reverent fear of Jesus. So this is the night everyone just had. We're talking about that boat, that situation, and they're now just getting to the shore on the other side of this sea. So if I was there... I would be thinking, man, what is going to happen with Jesus next? We just went through this crazy night. He asked us to go across this sea and all of this happened. We thought we were going to die. Like what, what's day two going to look like of this journey? Well, we're going to see verses one through five tells us they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. 
So, wow, you want to you wanna see what's going to happen next. You think that things were crazy and now they're getting even crazier. So Mark tells us that just as they reach the other side of the sea, they're not even out of the boat yet. It says Jesus just barely stepped out of the boat. And now a demon possessed man runs at them from a graveyard, from living among the tombs. Pretty insane. And what is this guy's story? Well, Mark tells us that he lived in a graveyard. He literally lived among dead things. And that people in this town nearby, they tried to deal with him. They tried to chain him up, tried to put him in jail, tried to deal with what was going on. And none of it worked. He would just break through the chains, break through the shackles. And so they kind of gave up on this guy. And verse 5 paints a pretty bleak and depressing picture of this man. It says that night and day he cries out from the mountains and cuts himself. It's pretty dark. Now, When you hear demon or possession or terms like exorcism, there's probably a range of emotions and feelings and thoughts on those things that you guys might have um, today. So before we go any further, I want to stop and just kind of address this as we go through the story. And what better place to start than a quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Screwtape Letters. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. These are often the responses that we've seen that you've probably even experienced. We either deny demons and the spiritual realm entirely, or we become kind of obsessed and unhealthily preoccupied with them. So first, there's this complete denial of the spiritual realm, of Satan and his demons working to increase darkness, destruction, and chaos. This is essentially what can be called rationalism. Only what is, what, what's real is only what you can experience, what you can touch, what you can measure, what you can test. Essentially, rationalism is a hyper-focus on the physical to the detriment and the exclusion of the supernatural. The other view on the other end of the spectrum is mysticism. What is real is only what is supernatural and the physical doesn't matter or isn't the true reality. Mysticism is the hyper focus on the supernatural to the exclusion or the detriment of the physical. With this view, everything is demonic. Someone's sick, it's a demon. Someone's having a hard time getting a job, it's Satan. Someone's behind, Satan is behind every difficulty and every bad situation. Someone has mental health issues, it's a demon. It's a hyper-focus on, on those things and an over-preoccupation explaining everything with demons. And these views, they've been held throughout the history of the church. And you've probably experienced these if you grew up in any kind of religious environment or maybe just what you experience with your own family, thinking about the spiritual world. You you probably have maybe heard or at least experienced one of those two extremes. The problem is both of them are very damaging because neither of them is rooted in God's word, which is truth. They lead you either into apathy or into fear, into denial and ignoring truth, or into an overwhelming anxiety and fear trying to analyze what's happening in your life. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. There is a spiritual realm. There are spiritual wars. And Paul says that the weapons of spiritual warfare aren't the same as physical wars. Okay, so I've had issues with sleep pretty much my entire life, which has been made all the more frustrating by marrying my wife, Allison, because she has this magic ability to just turn a light switch off and just go to sleep whenever she wants to. 
Seriously, it's like a superhuman ability. Like she sets like a, a 30 second timer and then can just fall asleep. And it's so frustrating. Um, but not me. I can't sleep on planes. I can't nap. I mean, I have to be like fully horizontal, any, any elevation at all. And I can't sleep. It's so frustrating. And I know I have probably have some fellow insomniacs here who understand what I'm talking about here. And if you add stress to that already abysmal sleep situation, it's just going to get even worse, which tells you how great of a last year I've had of sleep. Now, when I was in high school, these sleep issues kind of got a little bit more extreme. Um, I began having what are called night terrors. These involve having horrifying nightmares, waking up in the middle of the night terrified, not being able to tell the difference between your dream and real life. And mine were worse than what typical night terrors are because they involved, I had hallucinations in the middle of the night. I had optical migraines where everything was huge or everything was small. um, And it resulted in just, I felt like something was in the room every night. And I had a ton of extreme anxiety because of this. And this took place for probably about six months. And it got so bad that literally every night, I think it was about 15 years old, every night I was terrified to go to sleep because I knew what was coming. I knew what I was preparing to deal with. And we were praying about it. We were trying to, you know, hoping it would go away. We talked to doctors to see what was going on and nothing helped. But one night, weirdly, they just stopped out of the blue. I thought maybe it was a fluke. And then a couple days later, it was like nothing. I didn't have anything. So I told my parents, hey, the night terrors have completely stopped. I don't know what's going on. And then they told me why. While I was at school, the elders of my church came and they prayed in my room. They prayed over my bed and they prayed over my room and they prayed against any potential efforts of the evil one to try to do this if this was spiritual warfare. And then from that day on, I never had him again. And again, I didn't know that these elders were coming. I didn't, my church was also very, let's just say charismatically skeptical. Like this was not something that was in the the character of the church I grew up in. So I didn't even know this happened. But from that day forward, never again had completely stopped. Now I had a very real and personal experience with spiritual warfare and spiritual oppression. I experienced something that could not be explained why it stopped entirely. And it was directly as a result of prayer, uh, prayer of believers in my church that, that this came, came to cease. And I believe God answered those prayers. The scriptures tell us spiritual warfare is real. There are spiritual battles being waged. Satan and his demons are real and they really are on the prowl. In Ephesians 6, Paul tells us that we are guarded by these things, by the armor of God. Truth, righteousness, obedience, peace, faith, God's word, prayer, and worship. Now, I'm not going to turn this whole sermon into a a class about demons and spiritual warfare because there's a lot that could be said there and there's a lot more here. But we can't proceed in this story without just clearing the air on this issue and, and trying to come into a little bit of an understanding of what God's word says about this. So first, we don't need to obsess and attribute everything to demons. Just because you experience hardship or difficulty doesn't mean that it's spiritual warfare necessarily. But also, we can't just ignore or deny the existence of Satan and the spiritual realm. To deny the power of evil only empowers it further. And God has told us that the way that we push back darkness in this way, it's only through him. It's through prayer to God, it's through studying his word, and it's walking in righteousness. So on a practical note, before we jump back in, if you need prayer, if you have something going on in your life that you can't explain, 
please talk to me. We would love to pray for you. I know it might seem weird and we live in a time where everything is a doctor, everything is a, you know, is, a, is an appointment, everything is, you know, medicated. You know, there, there are very real solutions to our problems through science, but there is also a reality of spiritual warfare out there. And so if there's some things going in your life and you need prayer, please come and talk to me. We would love to pray over you and pray with you in those things. So this man in Mark 5, he's been tormented for years. He's cutting himself. He's literally living near the dead. He's living in death. And he cries out from the mountains every day. We're given some pretty scary realities of self-harm and sadness and depression and, and complete angst. The deep sorrow and hopelessness that leads a person to scream out in anguish like that is something that probably very few of us, if any of us, have experienced. And all attempts to deal with this guy by the town have failed. All of their human efforts to chain him up and lock him up and deal with him as a problem, it's all failed. Mark has painted a picture of human hopelessness and desperation. And we see that people, again, had continued to try things, but he was too strong. Nothing could hold him. All of those efforts failed. The message here is clear. Evil is real and we can't control it or deal with it on our own. But all of us, have had to deal with and come to grips with the reality of sin in our lives. We often think that we know what's best and we try to manage our problems. We try to manage the problems of the world in our human efforts and with our human ingenuity. The problem here is that we, we can't do it. <laughs> we can't conquer it ourselves. We can't overcome our sin. We can't control our problems. We can't destroy evil and we can't fix the problems in our world. Our power is limited and it leads us into hopelessness. This is why people struggle with addiction and self-harm, depression, anxiety, and anger. Because the weight of this world and the weight of our sin is just too much to bear on our own. And humans, in response to that, are overcome and we are overly burdened because of our sin and because of the suffering with all the darkness that those things are related to. That brings us to our first point this morning. Humanity is powerless against evil. So with this as the backdrop, what does Jesus do? What happens next? Well, let's look at verses 13 through 20. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to them, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. And they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So again, the scenario just continues to get more bizarre and more crazy as it goes on. The disciples are presumably standing by, maybe still in the boat. Maybe they got out of the boat and they're watching all of this take place. And because of how unusual and bizarre the story is, it's easy for us as modern, educated, scientific people that we can kind of not really allow the intensity of the situation to hit us because it just feels so unfamiliar. It's hard for us to feel emotionally impacted by what's going on. But again, I just have to remind us, this is not a fictional tale. This really happened in this story. And we have to call this literally what it is, which is a real life exorcism at the hands of Jesus Christ, which is a crazy sentence to say, but it's true. So this man sees Jesus coming and he runs to him, falling down in front of him. And he cries out, what do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, please don't torment me. 
And the demon is saying this because Jesus apparently was very quick to say to him to come out of this man. And when asked his name, the demon says, Legion, for we are many. Now, when you think of an enemy that's captured or enemy that's brought down to his knees before before his, his foe, you know, what do you think of? Well, in most of our stories in movies, you know, the enemies, they kind of, the bad guy goes down with the ship, you know, he's on his, he's on his knees and he's spitting in the face of the good guy who took him. Like he just kind of refuses to acknowledge he's lost. He shows no respect at all. It's, he's super disrespectful. He knows he's lost, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> he just kind of is willing to go down with his, with his attitude, no matter how evil or bad this guy is. But what attitude and approach does this demon have when he's brought to his knees before Jesus? Well, considering how we tend to think of these situations, it's actually a really shocking response. He speaks to Jesus in a formal way. He says, Jesus, son of the most high God. He speaks to him with a formal address. He acknowledges his authority, his power, and his deity right off the bat. There's a reverence and a respect that is demonstrated here that should surprise us if we're paying attention and we're thinking about this. James Edwards gives a great insight behind this demon and the demon's name. Legion is a military term borrowed from Latin. A legio designated the largest troop unit in the Roman army, some 5,600 soldiers. The demoniac is not a split personality, but a multiple or shattered personality equal to the number and force of a Roman legion occupying him. Legion adds another militant facet to the the demon's violent history and is a chilling reminder of the number, power, and intention of the demons. So this brings even more weight to the submissive attitude of this demon here. It's not just one demon. It's a legion of demons that are showing this amount of reverence and respect when they are before Jesus. This demon presents power, great numbers, and likely a history of destruction and chaos. And yet, even a demon named after a powerful Roman army falls at the feet of Jesus Christ in reverence. Next, the demon says, I adjure you by God, please don't torment me. And we see he begs Jesus earnestly. This demon is absolutely terrified of Jesus. He bows entirely to Jesus in total submission. And then he even appeals to God, not to Satan. He appeals to God for his mercy. And he appeals to the power and authority of the very God that he opposes. There is absolutely no question who has power and who is in charge here. There's not even a comparison of who has more or less power. Even the demons know who is really in charge and that there's only one God and that Satan's power isn't true power. Jesus reigns supreme and the demons can only beg for mercy when before him. In Mark 5, we see a terrifying expression of evil, demons possessing a man and tormenting him. And you think this kind of stuff is scary in a horror movie, but this is real life we're talking about. This demon has led this man to scream and tear daily, again, to cut himself and ultimately be abandoned by probably all his friends, his family, and everyone around him. But then Jesus comes onto the scene. He tells Legion to come out of this man, and then they possess thousands of pigs that flee flee and fall into the ocean to their deaths. Now, according to the law, Pigs were unclean animals that could not be eaten. So there's a connection here. None of this is by accident that this is all taking place. I love this quote here from David Garland. The kamikaze demons, which is a (laughs) a great phrase, fall victim to their own designs and tumble headlong into chaos. The joke is on them. From a Jewish perspective, the scene is a joke. Unclean spirits and unclean animals both wiped out and one fell swoop and a human is being cleansed. 
So there are a few parallels going on here. The unclean spirits are destroyed in unclean animals. The sea, if you remember, almost destroyed the disciples' boat, but now the sea is the very thing that devours the demons. I remember the disciples just experienced this. They just experienced Jesus demonstrating his overwhelming and incredible power over creation. And all it took was his word telling the wind and the waves to be still. And it happened instantly. And here we see the same thing. His power and his authority over all things is unmatched, unstoppable. The extent of Jesus' command, it's unsurpassed. The local people, they tried to deal with this situation and they failed. Jesus' mere voice is all it takes to command evil and darkness and brokenness to cease. Man's efforts against evil will always fail and they'll be destroyed. But our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he commands immediate respect and there is no question of his power or his authority. Our God has authority over evil and our Savior has ultimately overcome sin and death. He died on the cross. He defeated sin and darkness and death and Satan for us. Satan tried to tempt him in the desert and Satan tried to destroy him, but he couldn't. So we don't have to be afraid of Satan and his demons. We don't have to fear evil and darkness because our God is bigger. He has true power and he is in control. And that brings us to our second point this morning. God's power is ultimate. So this has been quite the scene. A demon-possessed man, a conversation between Jesus and Legion, and Jesus expelling the demons into pigs to their death. So let's look what happens next in verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. He was getting into the boat and the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might come with him. But he did not permit him and said, go to your home, to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. So remember, these local people are fully aware of this guy, this demon possessed man. They've tried to chain him up, but nothing worked. And now they hear something's going on and people kind of some rumors are starting to spread. And so the town, the townspeople come because they want to see what is going on here. And they find this man who had previously been demon possessed. And as we just find out now, had been without clothes. They find him sitting clothed normally and in his right mind with Jesus. And Mark tells us that they were afraid. They were freaked out. So freaked out that they asked Jesus to leave. Why do you think this was? This incredible miracle just took place and what they probably perceived as a problem person that plagued their city is now normal again. Why wouldn't they be celebrating? Well, they were terrified first of the demon-possessed man, but more specifically, they were terrified of whatever evil power was controlling him. And now Jesus comes and he casts out those demons in a pretty grand fashion. And much like the demons, they recognize a greater power is present and they become afraid. Mark isn't including these details by accident because remember the disciples, they were originally afraid of the wind and the waves. That was what terrified them. But once Jesus came and he, he showed his power, their fear shifted towards Jesus and away from the circumstances. They were astonished by his power and authority. And we're seeing a very similar reaction by the local people here, though instead of following Jesus and instead of their fear being a reverent fear for Jesus, they want him to leave. 
because this is the difference between Jesus's followers and those who are on the outside. They're both prone to fear and worry. We all are, but it's how we view Jesus that's what sets us apart. Jesus, his disciples, they fear him. They're, They're terrified of his power because it overcomes something that they were afraid of, but they still follow him. They still respect him. They want to be with him. The people watching all this take place, they're afraid of Jesus, but they want to get rid of him. They want nothing to do with him. So how does the man in this story respond? Well, as Jesus is getting ready to leave, he begs to go with him. But Jesus says, no, I want you to go to the, go to the city and I want you to tell everyone of what I've done for you and how merciful God is. And we find out that he does that and the town marvels at Jesus. Jesus delivered this man from darkness. He was tormented. He was in bondage. He was beyond help that anyone could offer him. Then Jesus came and he set him free. Jesus didn't just perform a miracle. He conquered and defeated evil and he delivered a man from the shackles of Satan. Just as he demonstrated his power previously with the storm, he shows his power rules over all. Now, again, it would be really easy to hear this story and not really feel the weight of what this is like because we're talking about demons. So let's talk about what kind of darkness that we experience, what kind of evils that we experience today. Cancer, murder, drug or alcohol addiction, self-harm, suicide, depression, domestic abuse, abortion, starvation, genocide. And even as, as I read that list of words, I can just feel the weight of the brokenness of our world and the heavy darkness that we see and that we even experience. And I don't know how these words hit you. I'm sure some of them have hit you hard because they maybe are something you've experienced or you've seen someone you love go through, or maybe it's just something you've seen in the news that's just made your heart ache. Evil is very real and we see it all around us. But again, humans tend to like our own solutions, our own answers. We wanna solve our own problems. You know, one of the most common responses to why people don't believe in Jesus that I've heard personally and many others attest to is that they don't want to submit to a higher authority. They don't want to believe that there is a greater power that could be over them, that could tell them that there's right and wrong or how they should live their lives. Because we want to be autonomous. Our natural bent is to want to control our own destinies, make our own decisions, and, and to be in control of our own lives. But the problem is we can't, (laughs) we know we can't. Our own sin is not something we can overcome. And all it takes is reading the news for a couple days to be totally discouraged at the brokenness worldwide that is overwhelming and so much that the best that we have has not been able to solve. Now this town, they did the same thing. They tried everything they could think of, all of their human efforts to, to control this man, to deal with him, to deal with the problem. And it didn't work. But when Jesus comes and he casts out the demon, they're not even glad to have him around. They're even more scared and they want him to get out. See, the same is true of humanity today. We are in a historically unprecedented time with access to information, education, science, resources. We have the most advanced technology. We have cars that park themselves. I mean, we have insane things that are going on. We have many incredible opportunities for education throughout the world. Medical research has made massive leaps. We're seeing things that have never been seen before. And we have modern government that gives both a voice to the people, but also checks and balances to those that are in authority. The best that human progress has to offer hasn't been able to solve the issues in our world. 
Because the answer, it isn't better technology. It isn't more information. It isn't better leaders. The answer is Jesus. Just like the stories that incite and excite our imagination, we need something bigger, something grander, an otherworldly power to save us from evil. What does Jesus do when he's faced with this, with incredible evil and darkness that man can't fix? With his very voice, he brings life, he brings healing, and he brings justice. We are powerless against evil, but God's power cannot be contained. He has overcome the darkness. And that brings us to our final point this morning. Jesus is our only hope. Do you believe that this morning? I don't mean, do you believe in Jesus? Or would you say you believe he's real or say that he's the son of God? Do you believe that he's your only hope? That there are no other solutions for your sin and for the darkness that you face in this world? There are many things that can help. There are many things, great resources out there to deal with things. But ultimately, that Jesus is our only real hope. We all have sin that needs redeeming. We're all acutely aware of the evils in our world today. Evil is real, both in the spiritual realm, speaking of Satan and his demons, but also in the physical realm. Evil, that's the result of mankind and our sin and the evil hearts of man. The question is, though, how are you responding to those things? Do you think that ultimately humanity can come up with the answers, that humanity can fix all of the problems of our world? History has taught us that the greatest of all leaders, the greatest of all nations, and the greatest of all movements, they don't last and ultimately they crumble in the end. They don't last because they can't overcome evil once and forever. They can only deal with it in a temporary way. So whether you are anxiously stressing about the problems in our country, the problems in our world, or issues in your own personal life, I just want to encourage you today, stop exhausting yourself emotionally, trying to deal with and, and process all of this on your own. The emotional toll that staying informed in the news takes on us is massive. There's so much death, so much oppression, so much injustice, so much brokenness. It's overwhelming. And when that's what you swim in and that's all that you're drinking and all that you're absorbing yourself with, man, it's, it's too much. It's too much to bear and it just leads us into hopelessness. Maybe right now it's, it's not the issues in our world. Maybe there's something going on in your own life, in your own heart. Maybe you're angry, you're full of lust, or you're wrought with anxiety, and you're trying to deal with it on your own. How is that going? How is that working for you? If you're anything like me, the more you try to white-knuckle your way through things and fix things on your own, the more hopeless you feel can kind of feel like a roller coaster ride with, you know, two steps forward and one step back or sometimes three steps back. Rather than trying to control your life, manage your sin, and stress over the world's brokenness on your own, come to Jesus. With but a word, he calmed the wind and the waves. With but a word, he faced a legion of Satan's demons. They bowed at his feet and he cast them into the depths of the sea. He didn't just deal with demons and perform miracles though, because Jesus conquered sin and death once and for all by dying on the cross for your sins and rising three days later. He has faced evil head on and he has overcome it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is what he wants to do for you. 
He wants to come into your life and the things that you cannot deal with, the sin that is overwhelming you. And he wants to free you from those things. He wants to take the price that you owe for those things. And he wants to transform your life. He wants to redeem you and free you from the shackles of sin and give you a new life, give you hope. If that's you, I'd love to talk with you more about Jesus. That's often a question at churches. They'll say, you know, you want to follow Jesus today, you can do it. I know sometimes it's like, well, what, what does that actually look like? Let's grab a coffee and we'll talk about it. I'd love to hear your story, hear where you're coming from and hear what your life has been and answer any questions you might have. It's a conversation we'd love to have. It's not just a moment or some high pressure service thing. So seriously, if anyone listening or anyone here wants that, we'd love to do that with you. If you're a believer, really the message is the same. It's just that we often forget that truth. We go astray. We downshift into kind of a self-driven way of living our lives. So I just want to tell you this morning, don't try to manage darkness. You can't will yourself away from sin. You have to trust that Jesus has conquered evil and only he can free you, only he can deliver you. He is your only hope in life and in death. Have you run from him? Do you feel far? Do you feel distant? Guess what? He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to return to him. Jesus himself gives us the image of of a father waiting for his son who took his money and wasted it all. He's waiting for him to come back outside with arms open wide to give him a hug and just to be with him. He loves you no matter how far you think you've strayed, how broken that you think you are. The evils of sin, Satan, and the brokenness of our world, those are real. And yet there is real hope, true power, and perfect refuge in Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Oh, Father, we thank you for your love for us, for your power and your authority. We find ourselves in in, in times where it often feels we're surrounded by darkness and brokenness in our world. And we all know what it's like to deal with sin and, and to feel powerless against it. And so we thank you that you have overcome, that you are good, and that you have overruled all of those evils. Your word says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.